Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Pursuit of Happiness, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. Here's Pastor Nick. Ultimately, they are seeking after things which are actually good, but they are doing it in bad ways, okay? That doesn't make what they're doing okay, not at all, but it's important for us to understand this. People who do drugs, for example, people who have adulterous affairs, people who steal or lie or whatever they do, why do they do those things? What are they looking for in those actions? They're looking for things which are actually good. They're looking for joy, happiness, escape from suffering in the world, maybe through drugs or abusing substances. They're looking for companionship. They're looking for acceptance, affirmation, security. Those are all good things. So what's the problem? The problem is they're looking for those things in the wrong places, in ways that hurt themselves, in ways that hurt other people, and in ways which will fail them and leave them ultimately miserable and probably destroy them. Now here's the point. All of us desire happiness, but many times we look for happiness in all the wrong places. So the question is, what is the right place? What is the source of this deep-rooted happiness which will not leave us empty that is bigger than our momentary circumstances? And for the answer to that question, we turn to the Apostle Paul here in his letter to the Philippians because in him we see something incredible. We see a man who in spite of his circumstances is overflowing with joy. The circumstances of his life were not good. They were bad. His future is uncertain. His living conditions are terrible. He has every reason to be frustrated and angry and depressed. And yet, what characterizes this letter, what characterizes his heart, is a deep-rooted sense of happiness. A happiness that's bigger than all of those things. So the question is, What was the thing that Paul had and how can we get it to? What was the thing that Paul had, first of all, which enabled him to be joyful in spite of his circumstances? Let's read the first two verses of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul had. He had the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the source of his joy. Now what is joy? Let's define it. Joy, the dictionary defines joy as an intense feeling of happiness. The Bible uses this word a lot. It says in in Psalm 33 verse 12, Oh how happy is the nation whose God is Yahweh. Psalm 32 verse 1, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You know, sometimes you'll hear Christians say, preachers say, God doesn't care about your happiness. God cares about your holiness. Anybody ever heard that one before? Now, it's what we call a false dichotomy. It's like saying you have to choose one or the other. It can't be both. It's either going to be your happiness or your holiness, and God cares about your holiness and not your happiness. It's a false dichotomy. You're setting two things against each other which are not actually at odds with each other. See, here's what the Bible would say. God very much cares about your happiness. God created you for happiness. That's the desire. He put that desire for happiness. It's hardwired into you. But the only place where you will truly find happiness is when your heart finds its desires in him. 
See, that's why many people spend their life frustrated. They feel like they're chasing after the wind, always pursuing something but never able to take hold of it, always pursuing happiness in a myriad of different ways but never really taking hold of that lasting joy which their hearts desire. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The other thing the Bible teaches is not only that God cares about our happiness, but here's the other thing, that holiness leads to happiness. Holiness leads to happiness, and sin causes destruction, it causes pain, it causes sorrow, but holiness leads to happiness. And so we can say that God very much does care about your holiness, and why? Because he loves you and he wants you to be happy, and he has provided a way through Jesus for you to experience true happiness that unquenchable joy which your heart desires. So Paul begins this letter by stating his name. Now we generally sign our names at the end of a letter nowadays, but they used scrolls in those days, and so you'd write your name at the top so you didn't have to unroll the scroll the entire way to find out it was just junk mail and throw it away. So they said, okay, it's from Paul. I guess I'll keep on reading. But not only Paul, but also Timothy. Now you might remember Timothy from our previous study in Acts. Timothy was Paul's protege. He was a man who became a Christian as a, as a young man in Paul's ministry, and then he later joined Paul on some of his missionary journeys. Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. Timothy had become a Christian in, in one of the churches which Paul started on his first missionary journey. On the second missionary journey, Timothy joined Paul and was a partner with him in ministry. And after the third missionary journey, Paul appointed Timothy to be the pastor of the church that he started in Ephesus, which was the largest and most influential of all the churches he started during his years as a missionary. And now, Paul is in Rome under arrest, and it would seem that Timothy has now come to visit him. This letter is written to the church in Philippi. This is a church which Paul started on his second missionary journey when Timothy was with him. And this was about 10 years ago that he started the church. 10 years later now, Paul is writing them from jail in Rome. It, this was the first Christian church on the European continent, by the way. Now, why did Paul write this letter? One of the main reasons was to encourage the Philippians in their faith. It was to let them know that he's okay you see, the church in Philippi, they knew about Paul's predicament. They knew that he was in jail. They knew that he was in pain. They knew that he might even be facing execution and death. But Paul is writing them in this letter so they would know that in spite of all these things that are happening to him, these things did not destroy him. These things did not take away from the source of his joy. You see, that he, he would say, they can take away my freedom. They can even take away my life but they can never take away my joy because my joy is found in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's something which nobody can take away from me. If anything, these difficulties have only caused him to celebrate that hope all the more. Paul's purpose in writing this letter is to show these people the reasons for his indestructible joy and what that joy produces in a person's life because he wants them to have that joy as well. Now what this means for you and me practically, if we have this joy, it means this, that what happens to you doesn't have to control you. What happens to you doesn't have to control you. It, even when things are going bad, you can still be doing good if you have a source of joy which is bigger than your circumstances. You know, there's an interesting place in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And most of you like Habakkuk. Wow, that's way out there. Interesting place, Habakkuk chapter 3, where it says this, 
Even though the fig tree has no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Notice what he says there several times. He says, even though, yet I will. Even though, I will. I want you to say that to yourself. Even though, I will. Even though the fig tree has no blossoms, even though there's no grapes on the vines, even though the cattle barns are empty, in an agrarian society, guess what? That's how you make your money. That's how you feed your family. What he's describing here is a complete economic crisis. Now put this in terms of your life. Even though my business is failing, even though I got laid off, even though my car broke down and my dog died and I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, even though this or that happened to me, I will. Even though I will. Even though this happened to me, I will rejoice. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Say that to yourself, even though I will. Now, why is Habakkuk able to rejoice even though these bad things are happening? Here's why. Because he has something, which he refers to at the very end of that passage, a source of joy which is outside of his circumstances, that he has been loved, that he has been redeemed, he has been saved by God. And even if these bad things happen, if nothing grows, if all the animals die, that doesn't change the reason that he has, the deep-seated reason he has for rejoicing. Now look again at these first uh, verses of Philippians. In this first verse, we see two things that the gospel did for Paul and that the gospel does for everyone who embraces it. First of all, the gospel made Paul a slave. Secondly, the gospel made Paul a saint, a slave and a saint. Now some of you might hear that first one and say, the gospel made him a slave? That doesn't sound good at all. Like, I don't want to be a slave. Well, sorry, but I have news for you. It's too late. No matter what, you are a slave. Every person is a slave, no matter what you do. Every person is a slave. The question is, what will you be a slave to? You see, the Bible says this, that everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Do you know what percentage of people have committed sin? 100% of people, everybody, me and you included. And so by definition... That's our condition. We are slaves to sin. And, and all people feel this. They express it in different ways. You know, in these common sayings that you hear people say. You hear people say like, things like, hey, nobody's perfect. Or I'm really just not the man or woman that I want to be. I'm not always the mom or the dad that I know that I should be. I'm not always the friend that I know that I should be. See, what are, what are they expressing? What they're expressing is this, that they know the good that they should do, but yet they fail to do it, even though they know it. You see, there's something within us which makes us our own worst enemies, and we know it. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. And guess what that means? It means that we are slaves to sin. But what the gospel does for us, what the gospel does for a person is it gives us the opportunity to be, to be set free from bondage to sin by becoming slaves to Jesus Christ. 
Now, again, you're still like, that word is just so bad, right? Like slave. The actual word here is the Greek word doulos, which means bondservant. Now, what is a bondservant? A bondservant is a slave by choice. It's someone who says, I see how good you are. I see how benevolent you are. And I want you to be my master. And I want to be your servant. See, to come to Jesus Christ and ask him to be Lord of your life is to become a slave of his by choice. A slave in the sense that your life no longer belongs to you. That your life belongs wholly to him. That you're not your own. That your life is not at your own disposal. You are completely at his disposal to do whatever he asks. But also understand this. To be a slave of Christ is to be a prince. To be a slave of Christ is to be a prince. It is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to live at large like a rapper in the in a world where you're a slave to sin. You see, the gospel set Paul free from bondage to sin and bondage to vanity so that he could become a servant of Jesus Christ. To be a slave to sin is to live a life of vanity. It is to live an existence which has no meaning, with no purpose, no direction. To be a servant of Christ, though, is to be part of the mission of what God is doing in this world. And that is a source of joy. Let me explain. Mission is an absolute requirement for joy. If you want to have joy, you have to have a mission that is bigger than yourself. You see, a lot of people are miserable because they live for nothing more than themselves. Their only mission in life is their own self-fulfillment, their own self-promotion, And let me tell you what, that is a surefire recipe for a small and miserable life. To be a bondservant of Jesus Christ is to be a person who has joined him on his mission. You have offered yourself to serve him in any way that he would see fit to use you. And that gives you joy. Because you're free. You're free from bondage to sin and vanity and because you have been welcomed into the household of God and invited to participate in his mission. The other thing that the gospel did for Paul, not only did it make him a slave to Christ, but it made him a saint. A saint is what? A saint is a righteous person, a person whose destiny is bound up with God in heaven. And that is what the death and the resurrection of Jesus has done for us. He died for us in our place, paying the penalty for our sins so that God, through him, could declare us righteous. Our destiny is with God in heaven. We who are sinners in Christ, we become saints. This is what Paul had. This is what he had that enabled him to have joy in spite of his circumstances. It was the gospel. It was the hope of the gospel that because of what Jesus had done for him, he had a future destiny. He was a servant of Christ and he was a saint. So the second question is this. How can we have it too? And there are three things I'd like to show you in the next couple of verses how we can have it to the same joy that Paul is talking about here. And there's three points here. Number one, first things first. Number two, make number one, number three. And number three, keep your eyes on the prize. So three things. First things first, making number one, number three. And number three is eyes on the prize. Okay, first things first. In verse two, Paul greets the Philippians by saying his common greeting, which is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common greeting that Paul uses in many of his letters, grace and peace. And it's interesting for a few reasons. First of all, it's a combination of the Jewish greeting, shalom, 
peace with the Greek greeting charis, which means grace. So he's combining the two. Grace and peace, though, Paul used this several times in his letters. They're kind of the Siamese twins of the New Testament. They're always connected. And, and you also notice that they're always in this order. Grace first and then peace. It's never the other way around. And here's why. Because grace always comes first. It's important for us to realize this because, see, peace is what everybody is looking for. In fact, the Hebrew idea of shalom, of peace, which we translate peace, it means actually more than how we tend to think of peace. It means more than just the absence of conflict. The Hebrew idea of shalom is something which would better be translated wholeness or harmony. It's the sense that everything in the world is as it should be. Everything is right. The Bible tells us that the whole created world is groaning for, is longing for things to be the way that they should be, the way that they are meant to be. We ourselves, we long for peace. We long for inner peace. We long for peace with God. But you cannot experience the peace that you want until you first receive the grace that you need. See, grace always comes first. Peace is the outcome of salvation, but grace is the means of salvation. Grace is unmerited favor. It's an acronym for you, acronym lovers. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is a God who so loved the world that rather than just letting you perish and be lost, he sent his son to die in your place. How great the love of the Father that he has sent his son to us that we can be called sons and daughters of God. Jesus died so that you can live. That's the gospel. God offers that to you. His grace so that you can be forgiven and made whole and go to heaven. And if you receive that grace, you can be forgiven. First things first. If you want to know peace, you have to receive his grace. If you want to have that joy which is bigger than your circumstances, bigger than any circumstance life could ever throw at you, the first thing to do is this. Receive his grace. Embrace the gospel Put your faith, put your trust in Jesus and what he did for you in his death and his resurrection. Receive the grace of God to you. That's the first. The second point here is this. The second thing we see in this text is making number one, number three. Let's read this prayer that Paul prays and then we'll explain. Verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers. Now think about this. Here's Paul. He's in jail. He's in a perilous situation. But instead of saying, guys, I really need you to pray for me, what he says, he says, guys, I want you to know that I've been praying for you. And every time I pray for you, it brings me so much joy. Isn't that interesting? One of the reasons why Paul had so much joy in spite of his circumstances was because he had made number one, number three. What do I mean by that? Well, you know the old saying, you got to look out for number one. Who's number one when you're talking about that? It's yourself. You're number one. 
But if you want to experience the kind of joy that we're talking about, the kind of joy that Paul had, you've got to do what Paul did and make yourself, make number one, number three. And maybe you wonder, well, then who's number two? Well, I'll explain that. Instead of being number one in his life, Jesus became number one in Paul's life. He was no longer living only to please himself. Now his life is primarily about living for Jesus and doing what Jesus called him to do. And what about number two? Well, that would be others, other people. He puts the concerns of other people before himself and he slides down one more notch from number one to number two to even number three. See, the fast track to being depressed is to be focused on yourself. If you really want to experience joy in your life, you've got to make number one, number three. And then you know what your priorities look like? Because I know you guys love acronyms. I don't use a lot of them, but here's another one for you. Then your priorities look like this. Jesus, others, yourself. What does that spell? It spells joy. And that will be true in your life as well. Okay, number three. Eyes on the prize. One of the ways that Paul remained joyful in spite of his circumstances was by keeping his eyes on the prize and remembering the promise of the gospel and the outcome of his faith. Two times in this prayer, he talks about the big picture. The big picture that even though he's suffering now, this light and momentary affliction is nothing to be compared with the glory which will be revealed to him. Because the day is coming and will soon be here when we will shed these earthly tents And we will enter into the life that is truly life, which lasts forever. Because Jesus Christ, the one who began a good work in us, he is faithful to bring it to full completion. See, this is the hope that nothing in the world can ever take away from you. It isn't affected, it isn't changed by your circumstances. Financial crisis doesn't change it. Physical suffering can't take it away from you. It can only make it stronger. They can take away your freedom. They can even take away your life. But if you have this, they can never take it away from you. This hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that because of what Jesus did for you, you have been forgiven, you've been redeemed, and the day is coming when you will see God face to face. Your faith will become sight and he will say to you, enter into, do you know what he says? Enter into the joy of your master. That's the description of heaven. Enter into the joy of your master. How can you have joy in spite of whatever circumstances this life may throw at you. You can have it like Paul did. First things first, receive the grace of God to you. Embrace the gospel because of what Jesus Christ did for you. You can have peace with God. Secondly, make number one, number three. Take yourself off the throne of your life. Make Jesus number one, make him Lord of your life and put others before yourself. And thirdly, keep your eyes on the prize. Remember the hope and the promise of the gospel for you. I'll close with these words from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said this, My dear brothers, if anyone ought to be happy, we are those people. How boundless our privileges, how brilliant our hopes. Amen? Lord, we thank you for the privileges that we have in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken us from the slavery and bondage of sin and you have made us servants of you. You've welcomed us into your household. You have made us your own. And Lord, truly, we do say that. We say, let our lives be yours. We want to be servants by choice of Jesus Christ, giving you our lives and saying, here it is, as you please. Lord, we also thank you for the privilege, the hope that we have that you have made us saints. You have made us righteous in and through Christ. And our future destiny is with you in heaven. Help us to keep our eyes on that prize. Help us to make ourselves not number one, but number three. Lord, would you help us also in all these things. 
to receive your grace. Lord, in order that we might know peace, we ask that we would receive your grace. And Lord, I, I want to pray right now for anyone here today who would say, you know, as we're talking about this hope, as we're talking about this joy, they would admit, I don't have it. If you don't have that joy, if you've never received the grace of God to you and what Jesus did for you, if you realize today after hearing this that you've been making yourself number one and you need to make yourself number three, that you need to give Jesus the number one place in your life, I, I'd like to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to pray and I'd like to encourage you, if that's you, to pray these words along with me right where you're at silently. Lord, I thank you for what you did for me. I thank you for sending Jesus for me, that you love me that much, that you wouldn't just leave me in my sin. You wouldn't just leave me to be lost forever, Lord, but thank you that you sent Jesus for me. Thank you for that grace. And I receive that grace, that it's by what you did for me, not by what I do for you, that I'll be saved. So I receive that grace. I receive that forgiveness today, that it's not just true, but it's true for me. And Lord, that you have wiped away every one of my sins that I might have a new life in you, that I might become a saint. And Lord, I pray for everyone in here today that we would receive that good news of the gospel, we'd receive that hope of the gospel, and that we'd rejoice in it as we go, knowing that our lives are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.